0: i don't know what's the matter bobby you're gonna make lemonade in your pants i ain't scared let's go
1: Welcome to the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. I'm Barney, and
0: I'm Biggs.
1: If you think about it, some of the the most iconic imagery in cinematic history is based off of the works of Stephen King. Carrie, the image of her standing up on, on stage at her senior prom covered in blood. The Shining gave us so many iconic moments. Jack Torrance hacking his way through a bathroom door with an axe. The creepy hallway twins. Red Rum. There's the sledgehammer, hobbling scene in Misery. And of course, perhaps most iconic of them all, a werewolf with a baseball bat. (laughs) From this film, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. That was the full title. I'm pretty sure that this is the first movie to have his name like directly part of the title like this. It came out in 1985 and it's based on a short story he published a couple of years earlier called Cycle of the Werewolf. Now, he wrote the screenplay for this movie himself, unlike all of those iconic, critically acclaimed movies I just mentioned. uh, Take that information however you want. I'm just saying. (laughs) Just laying out the facts. Now, I've seen this movie a ton of times, thanks mostly to my cousins. They were the kind of people, and everybody in the 80s either knew people like this or were people like this. They taped Basically, every single movie that was ever on cable, they had this massive VHS tape library, stacks of those plastic, you know, the the drawers, with the fake wood grain stickers <laughs> on them. I remember them. I remember them well. All packed with movies. It was like a, a video on demand before that was even a thing. And they were also huge horror movie fans, especially... Movies based on Stephen King books. They love Stephen King. They love the books. They love the movies. And every time we went over to their house for any holiday, it inevitably turned into a horror movie marathon. And it's funny. It would usually start with us watching Michael Jackson's Thriller video, which of course they taped off of cable with that making of featurette that they used to show all the time. And then we would celebrate everything from Memorial Day to little baby Jesus's birthday with screams and blood and gore on the TV. I actually do credit my love of horror movies to this day in big part to those times over at their house. Firestarter, the one where a where little Drew Barrymore could set people on fire with her brain. That got a lot of play. Cujo, Creepshow, Cat's Eye. Do you remember that one? It was very weird. There was like this little goblin monster. Who, who fought the cat.
0: Yeah, the goblin monster was always trying to suck the breath out of little Drew Barrymore. I remember it well. I'm pretty sure this one, though. Silver Bullet was the one we watched the most.
1: And I don't think I've watched it since those days at my cousin's as a kid. And it's it's not quite as scary as I remember. <laughs> it's very different. Um, in fact, it's pretty funny. Like, kind of hilarious. We laughed a lot while we watched this movie. And I think it's supposed to be funny. Now, watching it as an adult, in his review from October 15th, 1985, Roger Ebert said this about it. Stephen King's Silver Bullet is either the worst movie ever made from a Stephen King story, or the funniest. It is either simply bad, or it is an inspired parody of his whole formula. It's a close call, but I think the movie is intentionally funny, because I laughed longer and louder during this film than any other comedy I've seen since... Broadway Danny Rose, I had to look that up, came out like a year before this. I'm going way out on a shaky limb and actually giving this movie a three-star rating, which means I think uh, you might enjoy it too. Now, we watched this together for the show, and like I said, we laughed a lot. Um, We watched this because we were originally going to do, last season, like a werewolf double feature with this movie, Silver Bullet, and Teen Wolf. Then I thought about it and I got this idea in my head that like, no, Teen Wolf is this iconic classic that deserves its own show. And then we watched it and we spent like 85% of that show going like, wait, why did we like this movie? (laughs) Because it was terrible. It was so bad. If you recall, uh, my rental, my Amazon rental actually expired before I could even make it through that movie. That's what a chore it was to watch. But this movie was fun to watch. And since we watched it, we might as well do a show about it. So the story is that a small New England town is being terrorized by a monster, which is pretty standard Stephen King's stuff. In Tarker's Mills, the town in Maine where this takes place, it's a werewolf. Now the town's only hope is Marty Koslaw. Coles- I, <laughs> I just glanced at my notes. This word, this has to be intentional. Koslaw is their name. And the human brain can't read this as anything other than coleslaw. Oh, Marty Coleslaw. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of commentary by Stephen King on like white middle-class America. Wow. Profound. Or side dishes. I don't know. He's He's a paraplegic kid in a wheelchair played by Corey Haim. His sister, who narrates the movie as an adult, she spends most of the movie kind of complaining about all the ways her, quote, crippled brother, how his handicap is a mild inconvenience to her. And then we have Uncle Red was an alcoholic, who endangers Marty by giving him a homemade motorcycle. He's played by Gary Busey, who turns out was, like, born to play a lovable drunk uncle because he is actually really great in this role. He starts out, Marty starts out with this cool, like, gas-powered wheelchair. It's like a, a electric wheelchair, but it's gas-powered. Maybe it was built by Uncle Red. I don't remember if they mentioned that or not at any point. But later in the movie, Red builds Marty. The silver bullet, a silver colored motorcycle wheelchair combo with red flames all over it and giant chrome tailpipes. It's like a hot rod motorcycle thing. And it goes fast. It's like, I mean, it's like a legit motorcycle. We see him, Marty, riding down the highway doing wheelies in this thing. Now, as a kid, we thought it was like the coolest thing ever, right? Uh, I mean, sure, he only had it because he couldn't use his legs, But as kids, we were like, I don't know. That seems like a pretty good (laughs) trade-off. But as old men slash parents watching this together, we were both like, oh my God, are you kidding me? This is crazy. This kid, he's going to break his neck. Again.
0: Absolutely. And what's fascinating is this was long before any of the personal mobility devices beyond the BMX bike that kids had. That's how we got around. I mean, heck, even my beloved Pogo Ball, which notably is only spelled with one L, I learned, was still years away because Hasbro didn't hit their stride with that until about 1987. And today we've seen Segway scooters, so-called hoverboards, boosted boards, and my personal favorite, the beloved one wheel. But all of these pale in comparison to Marty's gas-powered racing wheelchair. So he
1: not only, Uncle Red not only gives Marty this death trap machine that he's built, but a bunch of pretty serious fireworks because the town's 4th of July celebration has been canceled, what with all the murdering going on, and again, super rad as kids, unbelievable watching this today. Uh, Maybe we're just modern-day helicopter parents (laughs) not giving our children motorcycles and explosives. It could be on us. Now, the story is supposed to be a mystery, at least in the beginning. We, as the audience, aren't supposed to know who it is that's turning into a monster and killing people, but you know. You know the second you see him on screen. Roger Ebert mentioned that in his review, too, which I love. It's a great review. Uh, He says, Who is the werewolf? I was able to guess almost the moment he walks on screen. In the Washington Post review a couple days later, entitled, A Bomb of a Bullet. This was not as kind of a review as Roger Ebert's was. Paul Atanasio wrote, The camera cranes down over a holiday picnic in a clean-living, vaguely southern town. The town leaders sit at a dais. One of them has dark, intense eyes and a five o'clock shadow, and generally looks like a movie psychopath. Guess who's the werewolf? (laughs) He's, I guess, spoiler alert, for this almost 40-year-old movie. Reverend Lester Lowe. The creepy priest played to intense perfection by Everett McGill. He was in Quest for Fire and Dune. He was Big at Hurley in Twin Peaks. That's my
0: favorite, you know.
1: He just looks like the guy who's going to end up being the werewolf. I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually a werewolf. Like in real life, <laughs> that's how perfect he looks. And we don't get to learn his werewolf backstory. Like how or when he became one. The book alludes to it being like a curse caused by some flowers that he picked. It's very weird. It kind of feels like Stephen King didn't really want to tell that story, didn't really care. So we get zero origin story in this movie, but we come to find out that he's using his abilities to kill those he considers to be sinners. He believes he's doing doing the Lord's work. I mean, don't get me wrong, he kills a bunch of other people too. And it's when he kills a kid, Marty's best friend, Brady, the town decides it's time for a little private justice, they call it, and they form a posse to go after the killer. And this is where... We get the greatest scene in the entire movie. Werewolf with a baseball bat. (laughs) So the townsfolk, who are all like hilarious caricatures, Roger Ebert mentions them, and the greatest (laughs) and the best line in this movie, in his review, he says, The town's local characters are broadly drawn, real broadly. When they form a vigilante posse and go out looking for the werewolf, one guy is scared, and his wife, So help me says are you gonna make lemonade in your pants
0: (laughs) we had to pause the movie at that point we were laughing so hard i could not catch my breath
1: there's no way that's not like intentionally funny on stephen king's part and it's such a perfectly weird stephen king line to throw in there so they're looking for the killer in the woods and there's this dense fog that's settled in the forest and it's at least like waist high the concept here is, is actually really cool and pretty freaky. They're, they realize something is there with them, like stalking them from underneath the fog. And then one by one, they get dragged under, or you see like a big werewolf hand pop up and maul someone's face. But the greatest death scene is Owen, the bartender, who has his trusty baseball bat that he keeps under the bar to break up fights. It's got the words The Peacemaker etched on it. He's played by Lawrence Tierney, who's amazing. He's the the gravelly voice actor who is Joe in Reservoir Dogs. He gets dragged under the fog. And then, and then we see from out of the fog, from up under the fog, we have the werewolf's hand come up and it's holding the baseball bat. And he starts whacking the guy with it over and over, and every time it's like, Whack! Ah, whack, you son of a whack! Why I oughta <laughs> Whack! Ah! Like, it goes on for what seems like (laughs) forever. And again, there's no way this isn't supposed to be funny. Uh, We were laughing so hard during this uh, this scene that, like, we seriously couldn't breathe. Why is he using a bat? He spent the whole movie mauling people with claws and fangs. He kills the sheriff with a bat, too. The werewolf kills the sheriff with a baseball bat. So Marty, he's been trying to tell people that Reverend Lowe is the killer. And when Reverend Lowe almost kills Marty by running him off the road in his crazy motorcycle wheelchair. And now this is like a genuinely scary scene, like way scarier than anything with the werewolf. Cause this feels very real. It's just like a dude trying to murder a kid with his car. And there's enough evidence for the sheriff to actually go confront the preacher about it. And when he does Reverend Lowe kills him by transforming into a werewolf and then <laughs> hitting him with the baseball bat. He uses the stupid bat again. It's just so weird.
0: You've seen werewolf movies. Now brace yourself for werewolf with a baseball bat.
1: And after, and when he (laughs) kills the sheriff, it was funny. You and I, we both had the same exact thought. We looked at each other and went, oh my God. Now he's got a gun. (laughs) The werewolf has got a gun now during the final showdown with the werewolf. Gary Busey like pulls out a gun loaded with a silver bullet. And how amazing would it have been if (laughs) I can't even talk about it without laughing (laughs) what if Gary Busey pulls a gun on the werewolf and then the werewolf pulls a gun on Gary Busey
0: from the people who brought you werewolf with a baseball bat comes a terrifying new thriller werewolf with a gun he's
1: got a gun (laughs) that scene is great the ending uh, it's really tense so Marty's parents go out of town and they let Uncle Red watch them it's on the night of the full moon. Uh, the kids give Red some silver jewelry that he has made into a silver silver bullet. The lights go out, and then the werewolf comes busting through the wall like the Kool-Aid man, <laughs> which was kind of weird, right? I mean, I know he's crazy strong. He throws 200-plus-pound Gary Busey across the room like a rag doll, but still, it's a little weird. It's like the wall was just made out of wood paneling. By the way, Gary Busey... Uh, did his own stunts for this movie. That was actually him being launched by some hydraulic trampoline thing across the room. I oh guess, gosh. yeah, I guess you could see like a piece of uh, fake glass get like stuck in his arm and he's bleeding, that's all real. I've always wondered what happens immediately after this scene because after he's dead, the werewolf turns back into Reverend, Reverend Lowe in an okay uh, reverse transformation scene. Mm. And when the police show up, they're going to find like a giant hole in the wall, Gary Busey, two children and a naked priest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel like they'd walk in, look around, look at each other and then say, yeah, this checks out and then head out for some donuts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we see the the best and weakest parts of the movie in the scene, which are Gary Busey and the werewolf, respectively. Gary Busey is really great and very believable as Uncle Red in this movie. And apparently a lot of his lines were ad-libbed. And in his review for the Washington Post, Paul Atanasio again said, Into this mess <laughs> steps the real hero of Silver Bullet, Gary Busey, playing Uncle Red, who almost makes the movie bearable. A huge, reckless, grisly of a man. <laughs> Busey injects so many bits of business into his role, a way of shaking hands like a piston or of timing a line or of dosey-doing out of a room that his scenes alone approach something resembling life. Improvising madly, he's able to shatter the formulaic torpor of King's script. His eyes in a perpetual squint, his mouth always ajar, Busey seems constantly on the ready to eat the entire world. <laughs> That's awesome. He's like a force of nature. Gary Busey. And his scenes with Marty, they feel pretty real. Like, there's this warmth to him. And you could tell this character really loves this kid. And he believes him enough about the whole werewolf thing that he goes and gets a silver bullet made. Speaking of the werewolf, like I said, I I think that's probably the weakest thing about this movie. Which is kind of a problem in a werewolf movie. Uh, And I feel bad because it's obvious that a ton of time and work went into the costume. But the '80s set like a really high bar for werewolf effects, right? This one just looks kind of dumb. He's like more of a bear than a wolf. In fact, the reviewer for the New York Times who reviewed this movie said it looked like Smokey the Bear with a hangover, <laughs> and apparently that's sort of what Stephen King wanted, what he was going for. I mean, not the the hangover part, but he wanted something kind of bear-like, something that just was clo- more closely resembled uh, a regular animal than some of the more monstrous kind of interpretations we've gotten of werewolves in the movies. It's a cool idea, a neat take on it, even if the actual execution we thought looked a little silly. I think this is a good time, and I know we covered a lot of this in our Teen Wolf episode last season, but let's take a moment and have you walk us through, just sort of recap, some of the stuff we've learned about werewolves, just in general, and some of the different interpretations of them, the many interpretations of them we've seen.
0: I love this topic. I'm very interested in the lore and sort of the folkloric conception of the werewolf. The word werewolf means man-wolf. In Old English, the were prefix was man, and then wolf is wolf, of course. Sometimes they're called lycanthropes uh, from the Greek lycanthropos, wolf person. And this idea that it's either a human who can shapeshift into a wolf or, as we've seen in more modern films, particularly starting, I think, with really the Wolfman movie in 1941 with, with Lonnie. Cheney was this kind of mixture, this kind of wolf like creature or wolf man kind of guy, um, that I, I really like this term, this therianthropic hybrid. And the idea of a therianthrope is sort of like a human animal melange, which we often see with, for example, Egyptian gods, you know, sort of sort of the head is different than the body customarily, these transformations take place on the night of a full moon. But when you go back into the folklore, which, again, I have to thank my Time Life books for yes. giving me some of this folklore uh, background, which is fascinating. There are a number of reasons that people will say can cause somebody to become a werewolf. There can be a curse. That seems to be the most common. Bites In particular but sometimes even scratches from another werewolf genetics like families that actually just have this predisposition the willful induction of magic so kind of like a curse but maybe you know with things like magical ointments or rituals specifically surrounding it and then drinking rainwater out of the footprint of a wolf apparently can also do this in certain scenarios sleeping outside in a summer night with the full moon shining directly on the face on certain specific days or holy days. So what's fascinating, as as you alluded to before, in the film, they never really mention this at all. But in that novella, The Cycle of the Werewolf, yeah, they do describe the reverend was out picking these flowers at a cemetery several months prior to his first transformation. He put them in vases in the church, but they turned black and died before he could finish. So he suspects it's some sort of a curse. And I guess that's sort of Stephen King's shorthand way of telling us there was some bad bad mojo, some bad magic on this that really, really created this cycle. And then always fascinating to think about, what are the parameters? What are the rules about how we could dispatch these creatures? And of course, we had a long, interesting discussion in our vampire lore, and there's actually some overlap with vampire lore. Some of it even seems co-opted from vampire lore. But if you look back, there, there was it's really fascinating. There is a wild, uh, I think a pretty rad, werewolf blog on Tumblr. It's maverick.werewolf.tumblr.com I mean, I was in the bowels of the internet here wow. finding this. Yeah, but this guy is really neat because he's read tons of folkloric descriptions of werewolves and his point really is that essentially if you go back there's almost nothing written about how to kill a werewolf uh there's some that say if you speak a werewolf's christian name then they'll turn back into their human form another story talks about throwing a piece of iron over their head and that can transform them back and we know that irons have a iron has a long history in fairy folklore uh in demonology as well that iron seems to repel certain certain uh you know, I guess, paranormal or supernatural beings. Hmm. But according to that blog, there really is essentially no weakness for a werewolf. And they go on to point out that Silver was completely made up by Kurt Siodmak, who wrote the movie 1941's The Wolfman. And the only thing we really know from this movie is that that seems to work, but also apparently bottle rockets can take their eyes out. So there's always that going
1: on. Yeah, we see that in that great scene on the bridge where Marty's out at night shooting off the fireworks that Red gave him. And the werewolf comes after him and he escapes by blasting it in the eye with the with the bottle rocket. So the original director of this movie was Don Coscarelli, and he wrote and directed the first few phantasm movies, classic 80s horror movies, The Beastmaster. Now he started production, but left due to a conflict with the producer. I think we might have ultimately ended up with a better movie had he stayed on. Part of the problem with this goofy werewolf suit they use is that we just kind of see too much of it. And he wanted it to be much more like Jaws. He said in an interview, I would have been really careful about how the werewolf would be shown. The desire for Dino, that's Dino De Laurentiis, the producer of the movie, is that the werewolf was visible in every chapter going forward. I just didn't think it would work. In fact, one of my scenes is still in Silver Bullet, which was the idea that the hunters go down into the ground fog that's like up to their chest. It's almost like Jaws with the werewolf Running around on all fours under the ground fog, which, again, was a really cool scene. And I think more of that less is more kind of attitude would have gone a long way towards making the wolf in this more menacing. We should have seen less of it. And we don't even really see that much of it. Right. But it's still probably too much.
0: It is. Unless you have unbelievable special effects and you're going to do something unique, it almost always seems to work against you to show the monster too much.
1: Now, The Wolf was designed by a pretty legendary special effects guy, Carlo Rambaldi. He's this Italian special effects artist who created King Kong for the 1976 remake. Uh, he did the alien xenomorph, the alien in alien. Yeah, it was Geiger, Geiger. It was his design, obviously. But Rambaldi was the dude who like built it and brought it to life. He won an Academy Award for both those movies. Wow. And he also created E.T., Steven Spielberg called him E.T.'s Geppetto, which is really deep. Now, when the producer of this movie, Dino De Laurentiis, saw Rambaldi's werewolf, he hated it. He wanted it changed, but it had taken months to make. A bunch of the movie, the non-werewolf scenes, had actually already been shot, and the production needed to get a move on. They were kind of just waiting for this, the werewolf part of it to be built, and Stephen King liked it, so the werewolf stayed. He couldn't get rid of the wolf itself. So he did the next best thing. He fired the guy inside the costume. He didn't like the way that he moved, which is funny because the guy was a dancer, hired apparently for his werewolf-like dance movement skills. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I kind of want to learn more about that, right? I
1: know. I'm moving like a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it got to the point where Everett McGillis the the actor who played Reverend Lowe actually ended up just putting on the suit and being the werewolf himself, which is kind of cool. Makes sense. As I mentioned earlier, at the end of the movie, after Reverend Lowe is killed, we get, a, we get a decent transformation back into a human. And again, man, the werewolf bar was so high in 1985. By this point, we had had an American werewolf in London, the howling. The same year this came out, we got Fright Night, which also had a dying werewolf changes back into a human scene when evil Ed dies in Fright Night. And that is truly amazing. Like to this day, some of my favorite special effects ever in that scene. Even back when I was a kid, I watching this so many times, I remember the werewolf just seeming like a a big dog bear animal, you know, but I still thought it was cool. It's really only as adult, as an adult rewatching this again, that it seems kind of silly, but when you're 10, the thought of being alone at night out on a bridge and this thing coming at you, like, it, it was pretty damn scary. Maybe even make lemonade in your <laughs> pants scary.
0: We're working really hard to bring that back.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I'm not I'm not ready to say goodbye to that line yet. <laughs> a great special effects sort of showcase we do get in this movie is the nightmare scene that Reverend Lowe has. He dreams he's at church with the whole congregation. He's holding a funeral for everyone who's been killed. There's a bunch of caskets laid out and everyone in the town. And then all of a sudden everyone starts turning into werewolves. Even the victims, they bust out of the caskets and everyone's in, in different stages of transformation. Now, according to IMDb, this scene utilized a total of 70 extras that they divided up into four groups, all with various levels of makeup. Really, really cool scene. I had a lot of fun. This movie was a lot of fun revisiting it. Definitely. And I know I'm kind of biased because... Like I said, it it does have some sentimental value to me seeing it so many times as a kid. I have a lot of great childhood memories surrounding this movie, but I think I think I'd recommend it. I'd recommend checking it out. If you enjoy 80s horror movies, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Roger Ebert that the goofiness of it was at least mostly intentional. So I'd recommend it. Uh, What about you? Did you uh, do you agree?
0: Yes, I absolutely do. One of the the best parts of this is that it is a small, compact, fun, and interesting movie that really reads a little bit like a B-movie, but it's enjoyable with some great high points of awesome actors and some really interesting roles. What I like about this is you finish it and... It's satisfying. You know, you've gotten to go on this little adventure. It's not the beginning of a multi-part extravaganza. It's not a huge show you're going to have to devote two hour, two years of your life, you know, watching hour after hour of episodes. This is just under two hours and you get a lot of good story and some interesting werewolf lore.
1: Before we say goodbye, before we wrap up here, I thought this episode would be a great opportunity to bring back a segment we haven't done in quite some time. It's one I know you love, Biggs, when I spring it on you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the McQuade Arcade Movie Quiz.
0: Oh boy, here we go.
1: <laughs> That's right. I scour the internet for a trivia quiz related to whatever movie we're talking about. And then uh, spring it on my co-host. Now, in the interest of fairness, I don't read these questions before... We do here on the show. We are all taking this quiz at the same time, in real time. Biggs, are you ready? I am ready. Question number one. Here we go. What novel is the movie based upon? How to Kill a Werewolf, Howling, Werewolf, Cycle of the
0: Werewolf. That one we know, Cycle of the Werewolf.
1: Uh, What is Marty's uncle's name? Steve, Red, Frank, or Ted? (laughs)
0: I think we're going to do well on this one. We know it's Uncle Red. Uh, This is
1: not exactly um, expert level so far. (laughs) Especially considering the next question, which is who plays (laughs) Uncle Red? Is it (laughs) Michael Keaton, Gary Busey, Tom Arnold? Michael J. Fox.
0: Well, this one this one is only complex if you have trouble distinguishing Gary Busey from a very similar-looking actor, Nick Nolte. But Gary Busey's our guy.
1: Yeah, which we did. We legitimately kind of did when we were watching this. We kept calling him Nick Nolte. But what if it was Michael J. Fox? What if it was Michael <laughs> J. Fox playing his character from Teen Wolf, and he's Marty's uncle. And when the the <laughs> the werewolf shows up at the end, Michael J. Fox challenges him to a one-on-one game of werewolf basketball
0: werewolf with a basketball
1: <laughs> it's a missed opportunity if you ask me somebody get on that write some uh fan fiction number four what problem does marty have deaf <laughs> it just says deaf deaf can't talk legs paralyzed blind
0: yep i think we covered legs that legs one paralyzed.
1: Given, a given motorcycle would be a terrible thing to give a blind child uh who is the narrator marty's dad marty marty's sister marty's mom
0: Marty's sister.
1: Uh, What does Marty shoot the werewolf with the first time? A gun, a firework, a slingshot, a water gun. We know that was that bottle rocket firework. What is the name of the bartender's bat? Equalizer, Peacemaker, Batman, the wood.
0: Uh, (laughs) I like the idea of a bat named Batman, but uh, I think it would be good. It would be a good
1: name. He's like, settle down, you guys, or you'll meet my friend Batman. (laughs) What is the name of Marty's wheelchair, thriller, kit, silver bullet, speed racer, silver bullet, of course. Who is the werewolf? Bartender, gun shop owner, preacher, Uncle Red. Oh, my God. What if it was the gun shop owner? Werewolf with a gun shop. (laughs) (laughs) He's got just guns strapped all like he shows up. He's got Gary Busey pulls on his gun, bandoliers full of ammunition, (laughs) just bristling with guns. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is an American werewolf. Submit answers. Oh, I accidentally clicked. Okay, we only got 9 out of 10 because I accidentally clicked Michael J. Fox was Uncle Red. There you have it, folks. <laughs> Nailed it like a like a bottle rocket to the eye.
0: Perhaps the werewolf simply represents an allegory for our baser emotions and desires breaking through a more civilized facade. The werewolf with its raw, visceral power captivates us until we realize that this power is blind and uncontrollable, causing far more harm than help. The animalistic rage that we feel when losing our temper may well be the folkloric inspiration for this iconic creature, and it continues to haunt us even in modern times. Perhaps, however, an update, a modern makeover if you will, is long overdue. And for that, I can think of no better image than a werewolf with a gun. And on that note, stay limber.